Welcome to the Valley Bear Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a message from our current study, One Hit Wonders. Did you know that there are five books in the Bible that have only one chapter? They are so good, so important, and full of significance that just a single chapter of writing was given a title and included among the 66 books of the Bible. In this series, we'll discover what made that one chapter of these books such a wonder. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy. Well, good morning, everyone. It's so good to be here with you all who are in the house and those of you who are joining us online. Welcome to Valleybrook. My name is Harrison, and I'm one of the elders here at Valleybrook, and I also co-lead our young adult ministry with my wife, Casey. Uh, Today, I have the privilege of wrapping up our series called One Hit Wonders, where we've been looking at the books of the Bible that are only one chapter long. And along the way, we've also been reminiscing on some of the musical one hit wonders that have graced our radios over the years. So I'll reference one here. In 1968, the band Blue Oyster Cult got off to a fairly slow start. After five years, or sorry, after five albums in eight years of playing together as a band, uh, they only had mediocre reviews and a pretty small following. But then in 1976, the lead guitarist wrote a song that would change everything for the band. Actually, when they were recording it in the studio, the sound engineer, when they finished, said, guys, this is it. This is a legendary, once-in-a-lifetime groove. (laughs) Sure enough, when the song Don't Fear the Reaper came out, it exploded in popularity. One critic called it a masterpiece, uh, and another wrote that it was as grand and emotional as American rock and roll ever got due to the song's, quote, gentle vocal, vocals and virtuoso guitar and the haunting middle break that delivers the listener straight back to the heart of the song once the thunder is finished. The song reached number 12 on the Billboard Hot 100 charts, and Rolling Stone would name Don't Fear the Reaper as Song of the Year. Blue Oyster Cult finally had their hit, but little did they know at the time, the fame of their song was only just beginning. So if you listen closely to Don't Fear the Reaper, uh, you'll hear a particular instrument being played throughout the song. It's a cowbell. Uh, But it's mostly overshadowed by most of the other instruments. But in the year 2000, 24 years after the original release of the song, Saturday Night Live broadcast a skit parodying the band's original recording session. The skit was called More Cowbell. For those of you who've never seen the skit, uh, it's written by Will Ferrell, who plays a band member, a fictional band member named Gene Frankel, whose sole job it is, is to play the cowbell. And uh, he plays alongside famous actor Christopher Walken, who is known for being very intense, uh, and he plays the fictional band's, the band's fictional producer uh, named Bruce Dickinson. And he is determined to get more cowbell into the song, Common Sense, set aside. Um, And so he urges uh, Will Ferrell's character, Frankel, to really explore the studio space with his cowbell, which Will Ferrell does in a pretty hilarious display of physical comedy. Um, And despite the obvious irritation of the rest of the band, uh, Bruce Dickinson persists. And ultimately, he delivers one of the most iconic lines ever to come from SNL. He says, I got a fever. 
and the only prescription is more cowbell. Uh, one re- reviewer wrote that this skit was one of the first super memes of the new century, and I am compelled to believe them and agree with that. So the phrase more cowbell has now become inseparable with, from the song Don't Fear the Reaper, for better or worse, and has arguably solidified the song's fame across multiple generations. Now, those of you who are classic rock fans will correctly argue that Blue Oyster Cult also had other popular songs, uh, but nothing has ever come close to the success of Don't Fear the Reaper, which to me makes them count as a one-hit wonder. Now, the message behind the song, Don't Fear the Reaper, argues that we don't need to fear death because love lasts beyond the grave. Now, Blue Oyster Cult was onto something, but it's not romantic love that brings life after death, but God's love and his grace. In Ephesians, we read that because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Now, God's incredible gift of grace through Jesus is the foundation for our faith and raises us from spiritual death to spiritual life. We don't have to fear the reaper because Jesus defeated him once and for all. But even though our faith saves us for eternity, it can still be attacked in this lifetime. And our faith is too precious to be left vulnerable. So we need to know what to defend against and how to defend it with both grace and truth. The last one-hit wonder of our biblical mixtape that we're looking at today is the book of Jude. And this is the exact topic that this one-chapter book is all about. As we'll see, Jude will warn us of a particular threat to our faith that we need to be on guard against. And then he'll give us some very practical advice on how we go about defending our faith with both grace and truth. Now, like many other books in the New Testament, the book of Jude is actually a letter that was written to the early church. Unsurprisingly, it's written by a guy named Jude. uh, And he was actually the half-brother of Jesus, uh, so a son of Mary and Joseph, And he became a follower of Jesus after Jesus rose from the dead. Now we find his letter right between the books of 2nd and 3rd John, which we looked at in the past couple weeks in this series, and right before Revelation, which is the last book of the New Testament. Now something I found when studying for this message is it's very difficult to find the one-hit wonders in in the Bible because they're usually one page long. And so there's a lot of flipping back and forth to try and get on the page. But thank God for bookmarks. Um, So once we find Jude, uh, let's jump in and read his purpose for this letter in verses 3 and 4. He says, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once and for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. So here Jude has identified the threat to the faith of believers. False teachers had infiltrated the church. Now, Warnings against false teachers are a very common topic in the New Testament, uh, including two of the previous one-hit wonders that we've looked at so far in this series. 
And in a way, it can seem like false teachers are the boogeymen of the New Testament, and the apostles are trying to scare new believers, uh, like, check on your church pews, kids, because there's false teachers under there. Um, And it, it might seem to us today that that's a back then problem. But there's a really good reason that the New Testament authors emphasize the danger of people who twist the word of God and the gospel of Jesus. See, if someone were to give you a recipe to bake a cake uh, and they messed up the directions or the ingredients, uh, the worst outcome you would have is a nasty cake that you wouldn't eat. Uh, But the gospel of Jesus is not like that. It's not a trivial truth. We're literally talking about a matter of eternal life and death. So everything is at stake for understanding and getting that truth right. And for those of us who consider ourselves as Christians, if we allow false teachers to taint our thinking into believing something that doesn't align with God's word, then we may not have that firm foundation that we thought we had. Jesus himself said it this way. He said, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Now, Jesus leaves the rest of that metaphor for us to fill in with our imaginations, but I think we can all agree that a pack of ravenous wolves in a pen full of sheep leads to a lot of dead sheep. And Jude knows that the risk of these false teachers is real. So he's urging the church to contend for the faith, which literally means to struggle against those who are trying to spread false teaching in the church and their untrue philosophies. And as we read in verse 4, the false teachers Jude is writing about specifically here were perverting the grace of our God into a license for immorality. So basically what this means is that these people were claiming that because Jesus paid for our sins, there are no longer any consequences to continuing in sin. They were twisting God's grace by saying, God loves me and forgives me no matter what, so I can do whatever I want to do, whenever I want to do it, how I want to do it, with whomever I want to do it. And this idea was drawing people in. And I think it still has influence in our world today as well. There's something attractive about the idea of receiving the good parts of God's grace, God's grace, like his eternal life and his acceptance, without having to surrender our whole life to him. We like to pick and choose the parts of God that we want, but control the rest of our lives. And this is probably why it's easier for us to talk about God's grace than it is to talk about truth and obedience. I mean, who wouldn't love to hear about the grace of Jesus that saves us from death, the death that we deserve from our sins? I mean, to adapt the words of legendary producer Bruce Dickinson, we've got a fever, and the only prescription is more grace. And that's true. But something, sometimes we hit that cowbell of grace so loud and so often we tune out the truth of how God wants us to live alongside his grace. To truly contend for our faith, we need to ensure that the way we live is in line with truth. And that means identifying and rejecting alternate truths that seem nice but are ultimately false foundations. Even Jude said he preferred to write about God's grace that comes through Jesus. In verse 3, he said he was eager to write about the salvation we share, but he knew he had to set the record straight about the importance of truth. And I think his words are just as important for us today as we navigate a culture that says you can be all right with God while living outside of his commands. 
Now, if you've ever listened to the full recording of the song, Don't Fear the Reaper, uh, you know there is a very intense instrumental rock section in the, mi- in the middle of the song that completely drowns out the cowbell. Uh, well, in the next several verses, Jude is going to drown out the grace cowbell for a bit as he presents the truth of how God deals with those uh, who teach this kind of false gospel and gives a warning to those who are unfortunate enough to follow them. So buckle up, everyone. This is going to get a little bit gnarly in the text here. Uh, so in verses 5 through 11, Jude compares false teachers to several historical examples of people who oppose God in the Old Testament. Uh, he's correlating the actions of these false teachers to an act of rebellion against God to, communi- to communicate to us that the act of spreading false teaching in the church is not to be taken lightly because God doesn't take it lightly. So I'm only going to highlight just three of the examples he gives us to get a sense of the danger that Jude is warning us about. Uh, So the first example he uses compares the false teachers to the Israelites who wanted to go back to Egypt instead of taking the promised land. And this is despite the fact that God has just delivered them from slavery in Egypt and he parted the Red Sea so they could escape the Egyptians that were following them, and then he led them through the desert at night with a pillar of fire, and then he provided food miraculously every day for them so they could eat. So after all of that, they still end up rejecting his authority and not enter the promised land like he asked them to. So God didn't allow them to enter the promised land, and that generation spent the rest of their days wandering in the desert. They knew God's grace and his power, but they went against him anyway. The second example I want to highlight is that Jews compares the false teachers to the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. God gave the people of these cities a chance to avoid his judgment. Because he said to Abraham, if only ten people repent and declare them and are righteous, then he will not destroy the city. But there weren't even ten people. The city still rejected him and continued to go against God's instructions by living in immorality. And in the end, God stayed true to his word and destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah by raining fire on them from heaven. They were presented with God's forgiveness, but preferred to keep their sinful lifestyle instead. Jude connects these two examples to the false teachers in verse 8, where he says, In the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. The false teachers that Jude is targeting had invented this dream world where it's okay to abuse God's grace by rejecting his authority and living in immorality. But Jude is trying to point out that they are headed for the same fate as these other rebels who God judged. And I think we see it in our culture today that there are people who invent similar dream worlds where truth is relative, and that there, are no, there is no judgment to be concerned about. And we don't always like to talk about it, but God's judgment is real because he is perfect and holy. And a perfect and holy God must bring justice to those who don't accept his offer for redeeming grace through Jesus or oppose him in favor of their own way. Jude is trying to wake up his readers and us to that reality. Now, the last example I'll highlight from Jude's list is the story of Korah's rebellion. Uh, Later on, when the Israelites were wandering the desert, uh, this guy named Korah decided to reject God's authority that he gave to Moses as the leader of the people. 
and staged rebellion. So Korah recruited 250 other guys to take out Moses. Uh, but against God's power, all of them were brought to a pretty dramatic end when God basically created a sinkhole that swallowed them all into the earth. And this is an example, uh, as a, I think Jude gives this example as a warning to those who follow people who are rebelling against God, because there's a risk that you can share in their fate. We need to be on guard and test people and philosophies that we follow. Because if we, we aren't careful, we can be led to destruction through them. Jude wraps up this tirade against false teachers with one last verbal beatdown. And it's pretty epic, so I'm just going to read it. He said, These people are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who only feed themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind. Autumn trees, without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame. They are wandering stars, for whom the blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Now, if Jude was speaking this with a mic, he'd probably drop the mic at that point. Um, but these pictures are pretty bleak and should give pause to any heart that has a hint of life in it. If these godless people could withstand this kind of intense verbal assault, it probably only confirms the lifelessness of their hearts. And Jude wants his readers, which includes you and me, to take the threat of these false teachers seriously because our eternal lives are on the line. Now, if that were the end of the letter, this would be a pretty depressing message. Uh, but thankfully, Jude doesn't leave us hanging with all of this doom and gloom. In verse 17, we get to hear his tone start to shift as he focuses back to encouraging us to stay strong and contend for the faith. In verse 17, he says, But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ were told. They said to you, in the last times, there will be scoffers who will follow their, un their own ungodly desires. And basically here in, in verse 14, Jude is saying, the existence of these false teachers is not a surprise to us. God has been warning us about these people for a long time. And this is when he starts to give us some very practical advice about how to contend against these false teachers. I like to call this section of the book Jude's Field Guide to Defending Your Faith. And it includes three parts. One, how to spot a false teacher. Next, how to build a strong personal faith and then how to contend for the faith of others. So we'll talk, start with how to spot a false teacher. Uh, we're going to be celebrating July 4th tomorrow, uh, which is we recognize our independence from the British Empire as an American nation. And during the Revolutionary War, uh, the uh, British Army had a very distinct uniform. They all wore very bright red coats. Uh, so the American revolutionists, it was very easy to tell who was their enemy. Um, and unfortunately, false teachers are not quite as easy to spot as those British redcoats were back then. Uh, a lot, these days, a lot of people have a lot to say about Jesus, and it can be difficult to tell who is telling the truth about faith and who is not. But Jesus helps us out in verses 16 and 19, and he gives us six behaviors to look for so we can identify the false teachers. Uh, so I'll list these on the screen, uh, and we'll go through them pretty quickly. Uh, he said, first of all, they are grumblers and fault finders. So 
So basically, false teachers are quick to point out flaws in others, uh, but never in themselves. And basically, they're major complainers. Uh, Second, they follow their own evil desires and natural instincts. If you come come up to somebody who claims to have uh, superior spiritual knowledge and experience, look at how they live. Are they following what God teaches in his word, or are they doing whatever brings them pleasure? Because that's usually a sign of whether they're a true teacher or a false teacher. Third, they boast about themselves. Uh, While they are probably complaining about everyone and everything else, uh, they are very quick uh, and loud and proud about their own accomplishments and their own wisdom. Uh, Number four, they flatter others for their own advantage. Maybe besides tooting their own horn, uh, the other time that false teachers are not complaining is when they're smooth-talking other people to get what they want. Uh, As long as you're useful to a false teacher, they'll say nice things to you, uh, but as soon as you're not useful, they're going to drop you. Number five, they are people who divide the church. And this is a major red flag. If a spiritual leader is teaching things that pits Christians against one another, they are going directly against the unity that Jesus and the apostles taught as so important to our faith. And last, uh, they do not have the Holy Spirit. In the book of Galatians, Paul teaches us that the acts of the flesh are obvious. Impurity, drunkenness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, just to name a few. On the other hand, the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are indicators of whether somebody has the Spirit of God in them or not. The Holy Spirit will also never contradict God's Word. So if someone is teaching things that are not true of His Word, then that's also a sign that what they're saying is not coming from the Holy Spirit, and we should be on our guard. So we can take these helpful signs to identify false teachers because it's much easier to know to defend against an enemy when you can identify who they are. But once we know who to defend our faith against, how do we go about defending it? In this next part of Jude's field guide, he continues to give us helpful advice by offering us four personal ways in which we can contend for a true faith. He lists these in verse 20, where he says, But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you eternal life. So let's break these down, what he's saying here. First, he says, build yourself up in your most holy faith. And basically, this means to grow spiritually. This means to become immersed in God's word and learn more about what it says and how to apply it to our lives. This means engaging in fellowship with God and with fellow believers. And it also means things like celebrating communion and, and participating in worship. Second, it says, pray in the Holy Spirit. In the book of Romans, Paul writes that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And even when we don't know what we should pray for, the Spirit himself intercedes on our behalf. So instead of, what we, instead of praying what we want God to do for us, we can lean on the Spirit and should lean on the Spirit to give us the words to pray, and trust that he is doing our praying for us. Third, he says, keep yourself in God's love. In John's gospel, Jesus said, 
As my Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. We keep ourselves in God's love by following what Jesus taught and how he lived. Last Jude says, wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you eternal life. Now, this one may sound a little strange at first, because it's like, how does waiting for something actually help build our faith? But when you spend time thinking about the fact that one day Jesus will bring us home to enjoy his presence forever, it is a sure way to increase your hope in him, no matter what your circumstances are right now. Waiting in hope infuses all of life with its expectancy and the desire to do what Jesus calls us to do. It's kind of like motivational rocket fuel to help us resist false teachers and obey Christ by building ourselves up through prayer, love, and hope. I hope you're starting to hear the grace cowbell starting to come back into the letter. Jude is circling back to the truth that God's love and his grace through Jesus will bring us to eternal life. And by building our faith on that foundation, we can resist the false teachers who will crumble against this kind of defense. But we're not called to merely keep God's grace to ourselves. We're also called to share it with others. And in the last part of Jude's field guide to defending our faith, Jude highlights three ways that we can actually contend for the faith of other people. First, he says, be merciful to those who doubt. Now, the barrage of false teaching in this world can cause some new Christians to doubt their faith. And we see this a lot right now on social media. There's a trend of deconstructing one's faith in Jesus. But Jude is calling us here to be patient and gracious to these fellow believers by showing them the same love that Jesus shows to us. This kind of mercy forgives the false steps of new believers and guides them towards their own life of faith and prayer. Second, he says, save others by snatching them from the fire. Now, there's a line in the song, Don't Fear the Reaper, that references 40,000 men and women every day who meet the reaper. Well, the actual number of human deaths every day is closer to 166,000 which is about 115 per minute. And Jude's imagery of snatching others from the fire is an urgent reminder to all of us who have received the salvation of Jesus through his grace to share the good news of that incredible grace and do so so, because our lives here on earth are so short and time is precious. Last Jude says, to others show mercy mixed with fear. And this last group that Jude is referring to is actually those who are deeply entrenched in the immorality of false teachers. But the point is, not even the most defiled sinner is too far from the grace of God. And so Jude is saying, treat these people with mercy as well, because God may still have a plan for their lives. But do it with a cautious attitude so you don't become contaminated or fall into the sin and false teaching that they are wrapped up in as well. So we're approaching the end of Jude here. And as we've seen, there's a lot packed in to this little one-hit wonder, one-chapter book. 
Uh, Jude has shed a light on the very real danger of false teachers to our faith, but he's also given us a very practical guide to defending our faith with ways to identify false teachers, to build up our own personal faith in a way that's strong and can defend against them, and also to encourage us to share our faith with other people through grace. This week, I encourage you to revisit verses 20 and 21 and apply just one of the faith-building actions that Jude talks about. That might look like spending some time in God's Word or praying in His Holy Spirit or maybe reading uh, Matthew chapter 5 through 7 to hear what Jesus teaches and what He commands so we know what it looks like to remain in His love. Or maybe just spend some time thinking about our eternity that was purchased by Jesus. Building our faith is a process— and we, we can all take the next step to make it stronger. Now, before we go, Jude has one more gift to share with us before he signs off his letter. Instead of winding down to a quiet finish, Jude writes one of the most epic doxologies in all of Scripture. He writes it in a way that crescendos with both encouragement and truth. And if you want more cowbell, he's going to bring more grace cowbell. He says, To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. The reality is false teachers might be, may be real and they are dangerous, but for those of us in Christ, God, our all-powerful and gracious Father, is present with us every step of the way. And he keeps us from stumbling. False teachers and false doctrine and even fear of failure cannot make us fall because God is the one who keeps us. And in the end, he will forgive us and purify us so that we can stand in the presence of his glory and his majesty and experience pure, everlasting joy. We don't have to fear the reaper because Jesus, our Savior, took on God's judgment on our behalf. And it may sound too good to be true, but it is so good because it's true. And the greatness of God has always been true. It's true right now, and it always will be. So let's walk out our faith in grace and truth. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.